It's kind of like going shh in a crowd, you know. Way to go. So a lot of you are on our text announcement grid, and last night you received a text from Johnny that told you I was going to be preaching on giving and money this morning, and I wrote him back and I said, Johnny, I thought you wanted people to come to church. Uh, why did you tell them the topic, man? They won't come if you tell them I'm preaching on giving, and he didn't say anything, and I kind of know Johnny pretty well. I knew he was either putting the kids down or he was worried about what he'd done. So he sent me a text back, and he said, so were you joking? I said, yeah, man, I was joking. But he said, well, if you weren't, I've got to come back. And so he sent it to me. And if you got the second one, it's like, Pastor Al thinks you won't come if you're preaching on money, but I told him you'd be there. So I, I thought that was pretty funny. It, it wasn't originally planned, but I think it worked. So this morning, we come in the book of Acts to a passage that reminds us that the church is a movement. And this movement that we know as the church started with people, very common people, who came to know Jesus as the resurrected Lord. If you have one of these little books, if you didn't, we've got them in the back. We'd love for you to have one. As a matter of fact, Nick's looking right now for anybody that needs one, okay? So we got three or four more laying here. These are... Uh, this is Acts. Sorry to say the Gospel of Acts. This is Acts, all right? And uh, if you want to follow along in this little journal, you can sure have one, and you can make notes in it, and that way you can decide really what you want to put in your Bible, all right? And if you don't want to put that in your Bible later. So this morning, as we look at this movement called the church, we come to a passage that you'll notice it says in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great peace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one who had any need. That reminds you of what went on in Acts 2 when they first became the church. There was this spirit of oneness that was going on, and they, they wanted to make sure that everybody in the family felt like they were in the family, and they wanted to treat people with dignity, especially those who had needs. They wanted to make sure those needs were met. Then all of a sudden, we, we took a detour. It seems that Luke wanted to make sure we saw how, and the author behind the author, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring Luke, wanted to make sure we saw the persecution of the church and the response to persecution was they were more bold and they prayed. So it's almost like now we come back to seeing that first unifying spirit among the church. And so God gives us two examples. I want you to see these two examples. First one is a guy named Barnabas. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite. That means he was a priest. He was a native of Cyprus, not a bad place to be from, okay? And he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought it to the apostles' feet and laid it down. Now, let's talk about these examples first before we unpack both of them. The Bible says that the examples were recorded so that we could learn in many cases, learn from their mistakes. 
That's what 1 Corinthians 10 says when it's talking about the Old Testament. It says, these things were written down as examples for you that you might learn. When we read the book of Acts, it's a book of history. So we don't say, well, they did this, so we better do that. And they did this, so we better do that. That's not how you read history. You read history and say, what does that teach me about God? And when you're reading it, you say, what does that call out of my heart? And then you say, so what should I do about it? Remember, that was the same formula we used all through the book of Luke. What does it teach me about God? What does it call out of my heart? What does it make me want to do? So these two examples are to teach us something about God and to teach us something about what's in our hearts and teach us something about what we're supposed to do. Two examples. Barnabas, son of encouragement. I'm glad we could meet him here because he's going to show up a lot more in the book of Acts and in the New Testament as a whole. It's a great thing to be called a Barnabas. We used to give a Barney award to people, you know. We'd take the little Barney and, you know, we'd take the little Barney and we'd call people out and we'd say, look, we want to give you this award because you just are so encouraging. Do you know people like that? I talked to a couple like that this week. Jim and Velma, they've now moved back to North Carolina. Jim and Velma, just, just saying their names makes me feel encouraged, you know. I mean, whenever this couple walked in the room, both of them could get a Barney Award. I don't know if it would be Barnett. And Bar- I don't know, you know what it would be. But anyway, they both could get a Barney Award because they both were so encouraging. You know people like that? I mean, there's some people that when you're around them, you can tell maybe their problem is their identity. And, and you, you know, you start going, yeah, yeah, I know. But there's some people, man, when you're around them, it just makes you want to run faster and further because they're just so excited about helping you walk with God. Barnabas is going to show up later. He's going to be the guy that first believed in Paul when Paul had been out killing people and got converted. Barnabas said, I think the conversion's real. He believed in him, and he took him to the other apostles, and he said, this dude's really saved. Later, he was going to be the shepherd of the Gentiles. We'll see that later in the book. Then we'll see him go on a missionary journey with Paul. Then we'll see Paul say, John Mark, you're too too much for me to drag along. And Barnabas said, well, I'll go ahead and believe in him. And he followed him back, and he stayed with John Mark when Paul went a different direction. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Say, look, if I've got something to give, man, I'm going to give it. But it's no accident that that is the one right before chapter 5. Because that's the good example. Chapter 5 becomes a challenging example. It says there was a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you may say, what's wrong with that? Well, you're going to see as you read the story, there was nothing wrong with him giving part of what he sold. What was wrong is that he lied about what he was giving. He said he was giving it all. He wanted credit from people. And so he brought what he had, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, 
Was it not at your disposal? You see what he said? Nobody made you sell that land. And nobody made you give an offering. And no one told you that you were to represent that it was all of it. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard him. The young men arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, Sapphira. She didn't know what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. The young men came in, and they found her dead, and they carried out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. You think? (laughs) My goodness. If God acted like that every day, none of us would be here. Okay? God decided to make an example to prove to his people they could not take the moving of his spirit lightly. Now, I know when you see something like that, you, you get all pious and going, why would God do that? What is God like? And, I mean, you ask a million questions, and I'm just going to have to let you keep asking them today because we don't have time to address all of those. But what we can address is this. When the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God, the gospel moves them to see things differently. The gospel moves them to see their possessions differently. The gospel moves them to see people differently. So this morning, we're going to unpack the gospel and generosity. We're going to look and see what the Bible says to us. In, I told Johnny, I said, man, I wish I could show you all the things I'm not preaching this morning. But I'm just going to try to wrap up following this one idea of the gospel and generosity I want you to see a quote here. The gospel creates a bond with God's people, and he loosens our bond with things. I put that in quotes because I can't figure out who originally said it. I found it in so many different places, and I just think it's the right way to look at it. When the Spirit of God fills our heart, and the truth about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead fills our heart, it creates a different kind of bond with people. Somebody prayed it this morning. I don't know if it was Jay or Johnny that we come in here from all kinds of different walks. I mean, think about it. We're in here multiple generations. We're in here multiple ethnicity. We're in here with multiple senses of socioeconomic concerns. And why in the world are we sitting here together? Because we believe that Jesus died for our sins. And we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we believe that Jesus is still at work here on planet Earth. And we believe as he moves in the hearts of his people that he moves us to love one another differently and to live differently. You see, the gospel moves us to generosity. It strengthens our bonds with people. It loosens our bond with things. I've heard preachers say through the years, Well, you may have gotten saved with your heart and with your head, but your pocketbook hadn't gotten saved yet, all right? 
But this morning, it's not really about your money that I'm after. It's about what was going on in Barnabas' heart and what was going on in Ananias' heart that we need to learn from. So, let's talk about generosity and how the gospel moves us to be generous. First, I want you to see that it's grace-motivated, not guilt-motivated. I really don't like preaching on money. I really don't like people thinking that I'm trying to get money out of them or somehow make them feel guilty for giving or not giving. But you know what? I really enjoy talking about how God moves in his people to move them to get in on what he's doing. Let me give you an example. When I was pastoring Winston-Salem, we were teaching English as a second language in a part of our town that was primarily Hispanic. And we were doing homework help with the kids because their moms and dads couldn't read English. And so we would go in there, and a couple times a week, they were bringing in the kids, and they, were, they had them come in, and they were helping them with their homework. We lost our place to do that, and so we had to find another place. And so we started looking around, what kind of building could we buy, what could we do, and we came across a Moravian church building. I, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Moravians. It was a great missionary movement at one time, and a lot of it came to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We found an old Moravian church building, and we went and we sat down with the board of the Moravian leadership, and we said, you do know that you started as a missionary movement, right? Right. Well, you do know that you've got a church closed down sitting over there empty, right? Right. Church building closed empty. And, and you do realize that, that we're trying to win these people to Christ and share Christ with them, so you ought to, really ought to give us the building. But if you're not of a mindset to give us a building, would you give us a good price on the building? Because we don't mind giving you some money if you're going to reinvest it. And so we negotiated for a while, and they said, okay, $400,000. Okay? Sounds reasonable. We sent people in to do due diligence and discover where we're going to have to make changes, and it was going to cost us at least $200,000 more to open the doors. So now we're up to 600000 I went to the church leadership and I said, hey guys, we really believe God's moving. We found this facility. It's going to cost $600,000. And they said, well, pastor, you know, we really don't want to go into any more debt. And I said, I, I agree with you totally. So why don't we just see if we can figure out what God wants to do? So we went to our people and we said, look, we need $600,000 in 30 days. And so we need you to pray and see what God would have you do and try to get in on it. We took people on tour over to see the facility. We went over there together and we prayed. And when it came time to take the offering, we took in 830-something thousand dollars. And it was exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think. Now, what was the deal of that? Nobody was guilted into giving. But it reminded me of the people that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians when he said they begged for the chance to give. I mean, I love it when I see the people of God going, 
What's something else I can give to, you know? What can I do to get in on where God's at work? That kind of motivation is how the gospel moves into us for generosity. It is not motivated by guilt. It is motivated by grace. And here's what happens when the gospel begins to motivate us. It turns our heart Godward. Not manward, but Godward. Now, I don't know if those are real words or not, but you've got to get the point, all right? You can get the point that Godwardness is moving toward him and manward is moving toward people. Now, I don't mean we don't meet people's needs. I mean we're not trying to get credit with people. Because when we give, it's not like Jesus said, don't don't get the trumpet blowing announcing to everybody what you're giving. I've never been to a church like this, but I'm told, that there are churches where you walk by and a guy with a microphone says, well, here's Brother John, and uh, today he's given $200. Way to go, Brother John. And he lays it down and walks on around. Now, we don't do that, and there's a reason we don't do that, all right? Because we don't think that's the way giving is supposed to happen. But what happens when the gospel moves in our hearts and moves us Godward? What does that look like? What is that generosity of fellowship in the gospel? Paul said to the Philippian church, you had fellowship with me and you are the only church that wanted to help me on this mission. And you gave so that I could do the work of God. What caused their hearts to be that way? I just want to list a few things for you. I think these things are evidences of generosity and Godwardness. One, you see God as the source and the owner of all things. Do you really believe that? All things are from him and to him. And I can remind you, it is Bible. You brought nothing into this world. You will take nothing out. How were you born? Absolutely naked with nothing. And how will you die? Well, they may cover up your nakedness, but you're not going to take anything with you. And the Godwardness of wanting to give believes that God is the source and technically God is the owner of all things. And he's just made me a steward. He has given me an opportunity to have something, but he's going to hold me in account to what I have. This morning, that's what I remind you with Ananias. God was holding him into account for what he had and he refused to see God as the source and the owner. And so... That was a lack of Godwardness. Interesting term. He says, why did the Spirit, why did the Satan fill your heart instead of the Spirit filling your heart? To lie to God about what you were giving. Godwardness, as the gospel moves us to generosity, sees God as the source and the owner. Secondly, it sees that we are to honor God with regular giving. Now, I talk a lot with pastors, I talk a lot with new churches, and, and I hear a lot of talk about, well, those people are brand new Christians and they haven't been taught how to give. And that's why people aren't giving on a regular basis. Well, here in the book of Acts, these were brand new Christians, but what had they learned in their lifestyle? They had been taught by Jewish tradition and Old Testament scriptures that they were to give the first 10% of everything. They'd been taught to tithe. 
Some said it was more than 10%. It was more like 20, 23%. And what they gave is they gave the very first. Now, when we talk about tithes and offerings, if, if I can be real technical here with you, tithe means one-tenth. That's what it means. And so if you're not giving that regularly to God, then don't call it a tithe. Call it an offering, okay? But technically, the offering follows the tithe. And generosity is not doing your part to honor God with the first part. That's just regular giving. Now, they had learned that naturally, and let me tell you how I learned it. My mother gave me an allowance, and she set me down with an allowance and taught me how to divide by 10, and it wasn't a math class, all right? She taught me how to put it in an offering envelope and take it to church on Sunday morning. And then my very first job was mowing lawns. And I went out with my push mower and decided I could afford to buy a riding mower. And I went into the bank and said, I want you to give me a loan on my signature. And the banker called up my mom and said, your little 12-year-old boy is pretty cute, but I can't really just write him a check for a few hundred bucks. Uh, and she said, well, he's serious about it. And sure enough, he gave me a loan, and I paid for the, the lawnmower that summer, paid it off. But I was taught from the very beginning, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. Never thought, never a question, never something that I even thought was less than normal, just normal. By the grace of God, I married a woman who fell the same way. And by the grace of God, we've been able to do that all of our lives. I'm not bragging because I know I'll get slapped down just like Ananias, all right? I'm just trying to tell you that generosity is not the regular giving it's built on top of that because it's not seeking human credit, but instead it's a lifestyle and not an event. Let me give you an example. I didn't look the guy's name up. I thought about the illustration, and I, I don't, I'm not really trying to give him credit, but you, you'll remember if you've been watching the news or reading any news, in the last month there was a guy who, humanly speaking, was very generous. He was at, was at Morehouse College, and he said to the graduates, paid off all your student loans. Now, you go out there and make a difference. Now, was he generous? Well, it was a generous event. But I'm, I'm not judging the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't know anything about his background. I don't know what motivated him to do it. But I'll say this. Generosity is typically not measured by what you give, but what you have left after you give. Because you're willing to take what you have and beg for the privilege to invest it in the work of God. It reminds me of the little lady, the widow who gave so little, and Jesus said, what about her? She just gave more than everybody else. Because out of her poverty, she gave all that she had. And everybody else just gave a little and think they ought to get more credit. It's not about the human credit. It's about a Godwardness in my life that says, oh, God, I'm depending on you. Oh, God, I long to know you. Now, in my reading this week, I discovered a term that I'd never heard of before. I've heard of the prosperity gospel, but I've never heard of the poverty gospel. 
Apparently, there's a movement that says, if you really love Jesus, you'll give away everything you have and walk around poor all the time. And so it, it's this kind of motivation of spiritual people are poor. Humanly speaking, they're all poor. Now, what's the tension between the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel that says, if you really love Jesus, he's going to give you everything and you're going to have a big house, big car, you know, big bank account, all that kind of What's the tension between that? The tension between that is... God's going to supply all that I need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm not going to put my emphasis on money, wealth, or on poverty, but I'm going to live a lifestyle and not an event of honoring God with my life. This week, I want to challenge you to read two different passages. You can write them down in the margin, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6, I thought about selecting the verses for you, but come on, it's not that long a chapter, all right? Read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. If you're, if you're serious about learning about generosity, read these two. Here's what you're going to discover. In 1 Timothy, Paul says to the young preacher, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And you need to say to those who are rich that they need to be careful with their riches because it's not so much that money becomes their idols. Listen to me. It's not that money becomes your idol, but it's what you want to spend the money on that may reveal your idol. Why do you need that? Why are you spending that? used to be you could say, go look at your calendar and your checkbook, and you could figure out what's important to you. Problem is now I have a generation that don't even have a check. You know, we had this one young guy come to us a year or two ago, and he said, I haven't been able to give yet because you don't have online giving set up yet. And, uh, and I don't have any checks. I'm not going to go buy some checks just so I can give to the church. And, and uh, I'm thankful he motivated us to get our online giving set up, all right? Here's how you can tell what's important to you. Look at your calendar, how you're spending your time. Look at your bank account, how you're spending your money. And it'll probably tell you something about physically what's important to you. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul's talking to them about how they have taken up a special offering. And he says all kinds of things that are principles in there, but he says it's grace that motivated them to be generous. And these people over here didn't have any money, but they begged for a chance to give. Why? Because of this is what happens when the gospel begins to move in the hearts of God's people. They start looking for, what can I do? How, how can I loosen my grip on my stuff? And how can I strengthen my grip on my relationships? So here's the last point I want to make to you about a Godward life. It changes what we treasure. When the Spirit of God begins to move in our heart and gives us a desire to give and get in on what God's doing, we find ourselves redefining our treasure. What's your treasure? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I heard one teacher describe 
You take your treasure and you take it and you decide that's your treasure and you put it over here. Now, you may not feel like that's what you want to treasure, but you decide to push your treasure out where you know it ought to go. And you know what will happen? Your feeler will follow. <laughs> your feelings, your heart will start following what you have put out as your treasure. This morning, I want to ask you to make one simple decision. Will you decide that you treasure the Lord Jesus more than anything or anyone else? I met some guests here this morning, and I told them, I said, you know we don't really try to plead with people to join our church because if we beg you to join, we've got to beg you to stay, and that's not how we're going to do it. I'm not going to beg you to give. But I will say this. When God begins working in the hearts of his people and Jesus becomes the treasure of your heart, he loosens your grip on things he strengthens your grip on relationships. And you want to participate generously. I tried to define the word. I couldn't even find a good dictionary definition. It is a Bible word. A lot of English translations use generosity. You know what it means? It, magnanimousness. <laughs> okay? It has this overflowing idea. Kind of reminds me of a lady who came one night to Jesus and she took her precious treasure and she broke it and poured it out on him because Jesus was far greater than any treasure she had. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that when we're right with you by your spirit, we are moved to see people differently and to see opportunities differently. I thank you for this sweet church family and our opportunity to serve together. And Lord, I pray, even this morning, that as we come to a time of worshiping that declares your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us, Lord, we pray that we would be reminded that you are our greatest treasure. Move us to be encouragers and generous like Barnabas. Deliver us from people-pleasing and deception like Ananias. Thank you for your word and how it works. Now together we treasure the Lord Jesus.